0: I don't know if you've ever uh, been asked this or if you have ever asked yourself, uh, what's my one big truth? In other words, when everything falls apart, maybe it's financially, maybe it's health-wise, maybe we lose a loved one, uh, a calamity in our family, maybe it's a flood. What do we lean on? What do we have that's our one great big truth? What's our one truth that we can stand on? What's the one that excites our imagination? What's the one that gives us hope? What's the one that puts peace in our sleep? What's the one big truth? Well, if you're familiar at all with C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, In one of the stories, uh, it's called The Big Chair, and there's three main characters in there, that's Jill, the girl, Eustace, the boy, and then we have a character in there called Puddleglum, and Puddleglum is a man, uh, he's a marsh wiggle. Now, if, if you haven't read the Narnia Chronicles, that doesn't mean a whole lot, but Anyway, he was very pessimistic. Everything was logical and pessimistic. Well, they find themselves in a place. They're in Narnia, and they somehow they end up in a place called the Underland. Are there any chronicles of Narnia readers here? Okay. All right. And they, they get to this place in, uh, called the Underland, and it's really like under the earth, and it's dark, it's gloomy, and the people there are snappy at each other. Uh, they're, they, they're, they're self-destroying. It's, it's an ugly place. They're working hard. They're striving. There's strife. There's inner hatred. There's bitterness. And it's run by a queen sorceress. And she uh, is, runs this camp, if you will, And it's a type of hell, really. And she's yelling. She's screaming. She's never satisfied. (coughs) And so these three characters that I, that I, I just mentioned, they end up in this place. And they're in this one room. And here she comes. And she says, oh, who are you guys? And how did you get here? Well, we come from. Uh, the land of Narnia, which is a good land, and we want to get out of here. And sh- at first she's real sweet. And then slowly she just gets a little uglier and a little a little nastier. And pretty soon she's really, really confronting them. And it turns out she puts a spell on Jill. She puts a spell on Eustace. And she tries to put a spell on old Puddleglum. And for a while, he's knocked down. He's kind of out for the count. But then he rises up. And he says, no, just a minute. And she keeps telling them, there's no Narnia. There's no Aslan. Now, Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia is a lion. He's a good lion. He ends up to be a type of Christ in those stories. But he turns around, and he says... She says, there's no Aslan, there's no Narnia. This is it. This is the only world there is. And she puts a spell on the two kids, and they believe it. But he's fighting back, and he said, no, no, I don't believe that. If this is your kingdom with all these snarly people in here, and if this is your kingdom where everything is ugly and dark and creepy, you've done a poor job. You've got a poor kingdom here. I believe in a kingdom where there's a sun, the moon, the stars, there's birds, there's butterflies, there's good things. And I believe in Aslan. I believe he's a good ruler. I believe he's a good lion. And he finally just confronts her, stops her in her tracks, breaks the spell, and they're freed. Well, as the, the one big truth that Puddleglum had was I believe in something better than where I'm at right now. I believe there's something stronger than me, bigger than me, that can help me. And so I ask he, as they get freed and get away, they leave the realm of the underland, and they're free and they're on their way. They broke the spell. So what is your one big truth? What's the one big truth that when all, everything comes apart? And as I look at some of you, that's happened to you. The seams come apart, the wheels fall off. What's your one big truth? Sometimes the one big truth for some people would be a good marriage. That's my one big truth. Or I have a I have a wonderful wife. I can always lean on her. I have a wonderful husband. I have a good job. That could be my one big truth. I have a great career ahead of me. That could be my one big truth. I'm a good athlete. I'm strong. That could be my one big truth. I have I have great children. They're always there for me. I have wonderful grandchildren. I can always rely on them. I can always rely on my wonderful family. They always pull me through. Sometimes it's our intelligence. No matter what happens, I can figure something out. That's my one big truth. Or my one big truth was I'm attractive. I'm good-looking. I'm handsome. I'm pretty. Maybe that's our one big truth. I mentioned health. Health. We've got a healthy family. We're always healthy. That's my one big truth. I've got a good business. I've got a good, strong, profitable business. Could be your one big truth. Maybe it's a refrigerator full of beer. Maybe it's a good supply of drugs. That could be your one big truth. Maybe you've got a great vacation home. Or the Vikings. You're daring me to say this, ain't you? <laughs> or the Packers. Or the Twins. These could all be our one big truth. And, you know, as we become Christians, we 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 settle into the, the good gospel, what it is, Christ in us, the hope of glory, dying for our sins. And sometimes we get into our one big truth can be shifted. Dylan, if you want to put that first category up there. Sometimes you look at that and say, well, obedience. That's the most important thing, is to obey God no matter what. He demands it. Next one. Or we can say, no, my attitude. The most important thing is to make a good effort because God knows our heart. Or sacrifice. We say, well, sacrifice is the most important thing. We've got to give God our best because he gave, gave us his best. And fruit. The most important thing is to bear much fruit. Proving ourselves to be God's disciples. You know, when I look at that and I think... That all depends on me. That's all about me. All of a sudden, I'm always navel-gazing and checking out how I'm doing. Actually, I don't have enough faith in me to do all that. I really don't. I'm kind of like Puddle Glum. I know somebody that's way stronger and way powerful... And he's already done it for me. And so I look at them, and you know, they're all good. Every one of them are good. And I think what happens is when we get and find our one big truth, these become automatic. They become the desires of our heart. You know, the last uh, couple of weeks I've been, uh, well, last month I've had, when I've had time, I've uh, I studied two cults, and both of these cults were very powerful. That They had, they had uh, very powerful leaders, very charismatic leaders. And in one group, they followed these, this leader to the letter, and he had hundreds hundreds upon hundreds. The next one I studied had thousands, just thousands. And they would they would follow these leaders and they would do anything. Some of them gave up their businesses. Some of them gave up their homes. Some of them left their children and their family to follow these leaders. Absolutely amazing. And one of them was uh, a fellow that just went like this all the time. You know, you wouldn't see him for four months or you wouldn't see him for two years, you know. And But whenever he'd come, he'd, he'd go like this, you know. And of course, they'd all bow and everything. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, this is their one big truth, that leader. They're looking at that leader. You know, I kept thinking, what if we follow Jesus like that and all the things, what he's promised us, eternal life and, and all these things? You know, I, I just pondered over that. It was so amazing what they would be willing to do for him. They would, they would leave wives. They'd leave husbands. They would leave kids and, and money, money, and they had a lot of money. They would give every cent they had. And some of them lived in communes where they would take care of one another. And, you know, really on the outside it looked like a real utopia. They said, ah, this is it. They, they, whatever they got, they got it. But as I, as I looked at that, I, you know, I was just praying about this. What can that, how, how can this be? We have the gospel of Jesus Christ on earth today. How, how can we get something like this, replacing that, and we give that kind of devotion to someone that's just simply flesh and blood? You know, they even were, they even were messed up in thinking that, uh, by the way, both of them died. Or no, I'm sorry, the one died, the real, real powerful one died. Uh, and, of course, then and they showed. They had a funeral. His body was there. They burned his body and everything. You know, and, and they said, uh, well, you know, he never really was born, and he never really died. You know, I, you know how, do they, how do you get that stuff? So, you know, I was just praying about it. I said, Lord, what is, why, why is this when we have the gospel already? And there's three basic needs. One is a trustful leader. Now, anyone that wants to follow anybody wants a trustful leader. I want a leader that I can trust, and I want a powerful leader. Well, for a while, they filled that category. The next one was self-betterment. How many of us sitting today want to be better? I want to either be thinner. I want to be better looking. I want to I want something. I want a better tan, maybe, or, or whatever. But self-betterment is a big thing that human beings respond to. And the next one was, and this I think is the most important one, unconditional love. Unconditional love. If I join this group, are they going to love me? Are they going to accept me for exactly who I am? They're not going to be putting me down. They're not going to be, well, you have to do this now. They're just going to accept my ugliness. They're going to accept my failures. They're going to accept my weakness. I want to live in that group. I want to be with them. They're actually nice to me. They're loving to me. They care about me. And I think those three things are the big ones that hold them together. And, you know, going back to self-betterment, the... what both of them did was this thing called enlightenment. You know, this is, you know, what we're going to take you a place of enlightenment where you're going to see God or you're going to be like him. Why does that sound familiar? So these things are attractive and draw them to them. And <clears throat> especially in these two cults, The leaders failed. They saw the cracks, they saw the weaknesses, and pretty soon they were both in shambles. So let's find the one big truth. What is the one big truth? Well, I think the Bible steers us this way that God loves us with an unfailing love. That's absolutely mind blowing. Unfailing love. In Jeremiah 31, it says, God's love never, never fails. It's an everlasting love. Everlasting. That means it doesn't stop. You know, all the things that Paul went through. We're going to read our first scripture here. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm going to read uh, verses 12 through 19. Remember that you were at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants. This is non-Jewish people like us, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you you who were formerly far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier and the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law. He also, let's go back to, I, uh, this is what, this is, I read the wrong scripture and you don't know that. See, This is the beauty of this. I just found that out. <clears throat> Ch- yeah, chapter 3, we're going to read verse 12. Uh, starting in verse twelve, <clears throat> in whom we have in Christ, and we have boldness and confidence, access through faith in Him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. Now, remember all the tribulations that Paul had: beatings, um, scourgings, shipwrecks—all these, all for the cause of Christ. And he said, "For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and on earth derives its name, so that He would grant you." That's me and you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being grounded and rooted in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. See, this isn't a human love. This is God's love. It's way different. What is so sad, and I think the Christian church does this over and over, is we do not understand the love of God. We do not understand the depth. You know, they talk about the depth, the width, the height, the length. You can't measure it. But we we can only compare with earthly love. And so that's why Paul is saying, you know why, in spite of all my uh, hardships, he keeps going. He says, I want you to know this Father's love. That was his one great truth. He got through everything. He got through so many things, they never got him down. Because he had the one great truth, that God loved him with an everlasting love. You know, God doesn't make you jump through hoops to earn his love. And he won't love you any more or any less if you succeed or if you fail. Don't you like that? He can accept me just as I am today. With all my failures, all my shortcomings, all my stupidity, all my dumb comments, all my wrong decisions. He still loves me. You know, I had a chance to minister to someone this week. And uh, they're a recovering alcoholic. And so they called me, and and, uh, this person said, well, I've slept a couple times. And, you know, in the world of addictions, uh, a lot of times you're measured by if you fail or succeed by not using. And so what 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 I shared with this person was, you know, when you got drunk, you know that God was still loving you? He still loved you. If you went on a week binge, he still loves you. He still loves you. He still loves you than if you were preaching to thousands of people. See, that's God's everlasting love. And she you said, know, no, I've never heard that before, this person said. I've never heard that. I always thought <clears throat> everything was a measurement. You know, When you go through addiction and you go through treatment and <clears throat> all those kind of things, that's how you're measured. Well, how long have you been sober? Or how many years, how many days have you been sober? It's always a measurement. You know, that's good in its own way, but that's not the Heavenly Father's love. The Heavenly Father says, I'm, through, I'm with you on this whole thing. I had a chance to minister to a, a, an older gentleman here about uh, a year or so ago. He called me up and he wanted to talk to me, and, and he's uh, active in his church. He's a grandfather, he's a father. And he said, I'm addicted to pornography. And he said, it just started very, you know, he he said, I've always had a draw towards it, but I always stayed away from it. But he said, I finally, you know, the convenience of pornography is so overwhelming. And he finally got into it. And pretty soon he found out that this is what I was thinking about all day. I couldn't wait after I got done to work to get back to my computer. And it went on, and he said, I, I, I can't get over it. I can't break it. I cannot get free from this. And I feel miserable, I'm shameful, I'm guilty, but yet I'm drawn back to it. And so what I told him, when I shared with him this, I said, you know, when you could sit there and watch five hours of pornography. You know that God still loves you. He still loves you. And if you stop for six months, he still loves you. That's the everlasting love. And so we shared several sessions together like that, and he finally called me one day. He said, You know what? It's broken. It's broke. I don't have that addiction. I'm free. I'm totally free. Oh, yeah, he said, I have, you know, I have temptations. We all have temptations on all kinds of things. They said, No, I'm still tempted. But he said, I'm not overpowered by it at all. I won. I won because, he said, when you told me about God's everlasting love, that put me over the top, that made me succeed. I knew who I really was. I knew that I was on solid ground. I, that was his one big truth. His one big truth set him free. <clears throat> We read in the Bible in 1 John that God is love. But as awesome as God's love is to us, it will have no effect on us if we don't know it. If we're not convinced, if we don't absorb God's love, it won't do us any good. We'll stay in our tribulation. We'll stay in our situations. I just want to turn, as I wrap up here, I want to look at Luke Uh, Chapter 15. And it's a story that we're all familiar with. It's the story of the, actually, the prodigal son. We always call it the prodigal son. But actually, there's three main characters. There's the father, there's the prodigal son, and there's the other son. And basically, that chapter starts out in Luke 15. It says, now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. This was Jesus. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. See, that's what religion does. See, the Pharisees and the scribes were squeaky clean. They were, uh, they, they were doing it right. They were doing all the right things. They were doing all that obedience and uh, sacrifice and all these things. But, you know, in... in uh, in John five forty two, this is what Jesus told the Pharisees. He said, you do not have the love of God in your heart. You do everything else around it. You know, you keep clean, you keep the law and everything, you're, you're squeaky clean. But inside, you're a dead man. You have no love inside you. So, as we read further on in verse, uh, chapter 15 of Luke, we see where the love of God is, is uh, available in all these parables. You know, if he if has 100 sheep, you lose one, the lost coin, uh, all those parables precede that. And we get to chap- or verse 11 of the prodigal son, and he had two sons. It tells about the two sons. The one son, we're all familiar with this, but the one son, uh, he wanted his dad's inheritance. He wanted the old man's money. He was, If the old man lived or died, I don't care. I want his dough. So he took off to a foreign country, uh, wild living, uh, un- unrighteous living, if you will. Uh, he finally spends all his money. He goes broke. He's got a job feeding the hogs, and he wanted to eat the hog's food. That's how, God, that's how bad it got. There was a famine in the land. And so he says, I'm going back to my dad. And he says, I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to, his, his servants, my dad's servants, live better than I do. So he goes back to his dad, and what does his dad do? His dad opens his arms. He runs to him. You know, that's an uncharacteristic thing of a, of a, uh, a father, a, a Jewish father, if you will, is running to your son, especially if he's been a bad son. But he runs to him and embraces him. And he said, you know, I just want something to eat. I just want to be taken care of a little bit. And so what does the dad do? He turns around and he throws a party. He killed the fatted calf. They saved the fatted calf for a big event like this. And so they butcher him and they have a big feast. My son was dead and he's back. And the other son was sad about this. And he challenged his dad and he said... You know, just a minute, this other son of yours that was bad, you killed a fatted calf. You wouldn't even give me a goat to celebrate with my friends. And his father said, you know what, you've had it all along. The tragedy in that story is they never knew the love of their father. They never knew that he loved both of them. So one is a religious man. He's going to do everything right. Then I'll be accepted by my father. And the other one comes to him for mercy. And both of them, their heavenly father, or their, their, their earthly father loved them deeply. What would be the one big truth that you would want to tell your children, your family, your loved ones? What would be the one big truth? What, what would set them apart? What, what would set their sail? What would would get them through life? Well, we can say that above all else, that God loves them with an unfailing love. Religion would tell them that God is standing with crossed arms, stomping on his foot, and said, you better shape up. Well, thank God Jesus shaped up for us, and we can trust in him. Grace says that his arms are always open to us. You know, we can't prepare ourselves or our families for the snares and the pitfalls and the minds that this world would throw at us. Who knows what evil enchantress lies for our children or ourselves? We don't know. But if we know the love of our Heavenly Father, that Almighty God is for us, not against us, It won't matter who comes to us. It won't matter who comes after us because we have the one great truth. We have the unfailing love of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the examples in the scriptures. And Lord, we know today that we haven't even touched the surface on this. Lord, we know that this is something that we could spend hours, weeks, and months on because the world attacks us and puts a a different value system in us instead of the one big truth that you love us with an unfailing love. Lord, we want to absorb this today. We want to download this, Lord. We want this to to be part of our life. We want to have this as our one big truth. We want to have this as our one big step, our one big boat we can get into. Lord, we want this to replace everything. We want this to replace all the things we talked about earlier, that could be our one big truth. Lord, Lord, we know every one of them are going to be gone by the wayside. But your love lasts forever. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.